Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, we're turning to the book of Jude, the very first chapter, and I want to look in the 20th verse. I've been preaching a series of messages sometime this fall called the Building Blocks of Faith. And we've been reading out of Jude chapter 1 and in verse number 20. For the scripture says, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We're to build on our most holy faith. That foundation is Jesus. He is the assurance of our faith. For on no other foundation can no man lay other than that which is laid, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you have a foundation tonight? Amen. Then you can lay that block of baptism. Amen. That is advertising your faith. I've told this many times, but this little boy got saved in Sunday school and the teacher said, go upstairs and tell the pastor that now you've been saved and you need to be baptized. The little boy was excited. The bell rang. He ran up the steps into the sanctuary, said, preacher, preacher, I've been saved and now I need to be advertised. Well, amen. He didn't understand baptized or advertised, but that's what you're doing is you're identifying yourself with Jesus. Then you can lay the building block of attendance to a local assembly called the church. It is the ecclesia in the Greek, amen. It means the called out bunch, amen. We've been separated from the world, though we still live in the world, by our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the attendance of your faith. Then we can lay the building block of daily scripture reading. Of the Bible, it is the authority of our faith. Then we ought to have the building block of daily prayer. You ought to pray every day, many times a day, amen. Couldn't tell you how many times a day I've stopped to pray. It's probably double digits that I've stopped to pray today. That is the assistance of our faith. We need to develop a daily prayer life. Then you can lay the block, the building block of obedience. Amen, right there. Uh, that is the action of our faith. How many of y'all have determined in your life that you ought to be obedient what the Holy Ghost says do? When he says testify, testify. When he says stop to visit, stop to visit. When he says send a text, make a phone call, send a card, stop to read the scripture, stop and write this down. When he gives you a dream and then God says write it down and you say, well, I'll remember in the morning and you don't. Oh, you wish you'd have been obedient to do what God tells you to do, amen. And then you can lay additional blocks, which we called uh, the Christian virtues, which are additions to our faith, and those are found in 1 Peter. And I've been preaching through this series and thought I was done until I started getting ready for tonight, and the Lord said, there's the building block called thanksgiving, amen. And that is the appreciation of our faith. Do you appreciate are you thankful? Do you have gratitude for what God has done, is doing, and is going to do in your life? Amen. I want to turn from Jude now and go over to Colossians. Every time that we've been preaching one of these uh, building blocks, we found a, another piece of scripture that coincides. And I began to think about Apostle Paul and how he was writing in the book of Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1. 
I may say tonight that I'm thankful for many things. I don't have time to preach to you the many things that I'm thankful for. In fact, I'm glad I'll have eternity one day when I get to heaven to thank him because I'll need every bit of that time to thank him for all he's done. Can I get a witness right there? Amen. I'm thankful for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for his shed blood. Amen. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission for sin. I'm thankful for his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. Amen. I'm thankful that he has a tomb that's still empty. Amen. I'm thankful for his resurrection tonight. And I'm thankful for the promise of his return. He could come back today. Y'all were just singing about it. Amen. I'm thankful for his grace. I'm thankful for his mercy. I'm thankful for his pardon. I'm thankful for his peace. I could go on and on. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my precious wife. Amen. And I'm thankful for her walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for her faithful support of the ministry and of my walk in, in the faith. I'm thankful for my children. John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my little children walk in truth. Amen. Tonight, if you're a parent, can you say, Preacher Darren, I am thankful for my children. May I add one more? I'm thankful for my grandchild. Whoop, I could run right there, amen. She is a blessing, amen. I am thankful for the health that God's given me. I'm thankful for water. I, my grandpa would always say, I'm thankful for dirty dishes. And I said, what? That means you got to wash them. He said, no, it means you just had a good meal. So I'm thankful not for dirty dishes, amen. And I, I begin to think about how I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for Bethel Baptist Church. I'm thankful for the people. I'm not just thankful for the building. That, that, that's, that's absurd. I'm thankful for the people that comprise the church. I'm thankful for the love that you have for the Lord. Look at you. You come out on a Wednesday night before Thanksgiving to hear an old dry windbag just get up and preach and preach and preach. Why, you must be crazy. Either that or you love the Lord. Amen. I'm thankful for the faith, the common faith, that you have placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for the men in this church that I get to serve God with. And I'm thankful for the ladies as well. I'm thankful for your godly conduct. Amen. I'm thankful for your integrity. Amen. I'm thankful for the men that God's called into the ministry. How that serve right here at Bethel. God bless each and every one of you. I'm thankful for this church and your service, your daily service unto God. And I want to say this, I'm thankful for what God's doing in this church. You may look around tonight and say, we're not big in number, but I'm telling you, we serve a big God, and He's doing a big work. It is not a work of man, it's a supernatural work. There's no way that all of us with our different backgrounds and our different opinions and our different ideas and our different political views that we could stay together more than about five minutes without us getting in an opinionated argument. But God has done something supernatural in our lives and has yoked us together by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the bond of the Holy... I feel preaching stirring. By the bond of the Holy Ghost and the unity of the Spirit of God. I am thankful for what God's doing. I'm thankful for the souls he's been saving. I mean, 50-some saved just a lot. Glory to God how good God's been to us. And I think about Paul. Look with me here in Colossians chapter 1. I was going to read a few verses. Verse 3. Colossians 1 verse 3. Paul writes, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 
since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. I, I was going to stop, but I can't quit. Where, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard it and knew the grace of God in truth. Paul said in verse 3, he's given thanks to God for what? For the church. He's given thanks, thanks to God for the church. The church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. Jesus, I need an amen right here, gave his life for the church. And when the church is in unity, and when she's serving God, amen, there's nothing just like it. The joy and the blessings that flow from a church that's walking in truth and unity with the Lord. However, when factions of the church become carnal, few things are more painful than when there's issues and problems in the church. Paul is giving thanks in Colossians chapter 1 for the church. Do you know where Paul is located as he's writing? He's in a prison cell. He is awaiting, he's been arrested and arraigned, he's awaiting his trial. While he is in Rome in this prison cell, there was a runaway slave that crossed his path in the prison by the name of Onesimus. And Paul had acquaintance with the one he'd run away from. And Paul led that young man to faith in Jesus Christ in the prison cell. Now oftentimes I hear about somebody going to the prison and leading prisoners to the Lord. But here's Paul as a prisoner himself leading someone else to the Lord. While he's there, Epaphras and Tychicus come to visit him. But for the most part, Paul is in separation from society. Paul is not able to gather with the church. Remember when he was in Ephesus, he preached to them for three years. As far as I know, that's the longest he stayed with any congregation was three years. He was always on the move, developing, uh, preaching, uh, launching, building churches for the glory of God. Here is Paul with the presence of the Holy Ghost on him in the middle of a prison cell, thinking about the church, giving thanks to God. He is expressing his thanksgiving for the church. Now, I often run into other preachers that I know and and they'll say, Preacher Darren, how's your church doing? How's the ministry going? I'll say, how's your church doing? And I find that this is the conversation that we typically have, if you think about it. We typically have a conversation about the four B's. The building, the budget, buses, and then baptisms. Every time, that's what I hear. It's not what I say when people talk to me about the church I don't have buses that I run, just to be honest with you. I don't really get too deep into the budget, amen, because we're so far in debt it would depress a lot of people, amen. Thank God for that. 
I, I don't really deal a lot with those four B's. And Paul, when he gives thanks in verse 3, 4, 5, and 6, I didn't see anything there about a building, about a budget, about buses, or about baptism. You see, most people measure the success of a church by those four things. Are you building a building? Or is your budget increasing? Are you sending buses in the community? How many baptisms have you had in the last year? But rather than focus on the external, Paul peels back the layers and puts his finger, I believe, on the heartbeat of what the church really should be. What is it that makes the church spiritual? Oh, Holy Ghost. What is it that causes the church to be the apple of God's eye? What is it that causes God to smile when he thinks about his church? I see it right here in these verses. They're found in verse 3, 4, and 5. I want you to think with me now. Look in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith. Keep reading. And of the love. Verse 5. For the hope. So there are three. Faith, love, and hope. That is the core of the church. These spiritual values should be the badge of identification for the church. And yes, there are things that help produce or help grow uh, faith, hope, and love. The preaching of the Word will help produce faith, hope, and love. Uh, prayer will assist faith, hope, and love. Praising God will assist faith, hope, and love. But we've heard those three before. Just go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That is the, the great chapter on charity, which is the Greek word agapeo, which is unconditional love. Look at verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. So I can read all these things. Look at verse 8. Charity never faileth. Look at verse 13. Now abideth faith, hope, charity. Can I call it love and y'all be okay? Now abideth faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. What about that? There are those three virtues that Paul says these are the greatest three things. And when we look at the church at Colossae, as Paul begins to write, he's not talking about buildings, budgets, buses, and baptisms. He's talking about three things. Bethel Baptist Church. Tonight is I give thanks. I give thanks for your faith for your love, and for the hope that God has given to us. Number one, I want us to consider then, I want us to consider the saving faith that you all have placed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is he's building the church. Now, let's go back. Paul did not say, I'm thankful when he says, I'm thankful for the church, he's giving thanks for the church, 
He's not giving thanks to you. He's giving thanks to God. You see, the church is the body of Christ. The, the church is the bride of Christ. The church is built by Christ. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Who's, he didn't say, you will build a church. Jesus said he would build the church. Amen. I'm thankful for that tonight. So let's talk about saving faith in Christ. May I begin to say it like this. As I thought this afternoon, I'm writing, it's pretty hard to give thanks for a church that's lost. Preacher Darren, there is no such thing as a church that's lost. Ultimately, you're correct. You cannot become part of the church until you're saved. But there's a lot of people that believe they've joined a church or they got baptized and that means that they're going to heaven. But according to my Bible, that doesn't guarantee anything. You have to have placed saving faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You had to admit you are a sinner and admit or acknowledge He is the Savior. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So ultimately, to be a part of the church, you must be saved. But may I say tonight, as I look at Bethel or maybe any other church as we have church members, we must admit or acknowledge tonight that there probably are people who have never been saved on our church rolls. It's sad to say, because we're going through the motions of playing church or we're filled with religiosity and, and we get the idea, well, I was born going to church and now I'm a Christian. I, one man told me he was a Christian because he was born in America. Have you checked lately? We're not a Christian nation. Well, uh, we have a great facility. We, we have business contacts. We have social acceptance. I'm part of the church. That does not make you part of the church. You're part of the church when you get saved. So when Paul gives thanks for the church, he's clear to point out in verse 4, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. They have placed saving faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may I say this? Faith is receiving what God has revealed. It is committing your life to Christ. Faith has at the heart of it obedience to the Lord. It is more than just intellectual assent. It is more than just a checklist that you go through. Faith is receiving what God has shared with us. It's a heart persuasion. It is a... Uh, a volition of a choice of your will, a choice of your volition. It is an entrance through the narrow gate. It is a surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is, it is, and faith must be placed in the right object. Faith is no stronger than the object it's in. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. <laughs> Woo, how big is he and how strong is he? I don't even know. Charles Spurgeon began to write about two men that were capsized in a boat and they were in a very aggressively flowing river 
and they were being swept downstream to where there is a waterfall cascading down into the cliffs and the rocks. And the people on shore saw what happened and the struggle and quickly they threw out a narrow rope to the two men. One of the men saw the rope and looked and saw a log that was about as wide as the pulpit. And he saw the security and the safety and the size of the log compared, compared to that little narrow rope and he grabbed a hold of the log. His buddy looked at him and saw another log and said, well, he grabbed the log, but that thing's still floating. I think I'm going to grab a hold of this little narrow rope. Doesn't look like a whole lot. Can't even push it or move it much, but it looks like it's better than that log he's on. And you know what happened? The log, but despite its, spite, despite its size, kept floating, and the man went over the waterfall and perished. And the other young man holding onto that narrow rope was pulled safety, safely to the shore. May I say tonight, I'm not part of the church because it's a big, wide log. Amen. I am part of the church because I've come through the narrow gate of the Son of God. Amen. And I've grabbed a hold of the narrow rope and he's pulling me safely home. Amen. You see, your faith is no stronger than the object that it's in and our faith must be in the Lord Jesus Christ. As you give thanks tonight, as you count your blessings, can you give thanks for a church that has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? This church tonight is not a spiritual country club. It is not a place that you can come and just join up and just you know be a part of society. No, no, no. The church here has Jesus as its center, has Jesus as its preeminence. He is first and yea, he is foremost. I give thanks tonight for your saving faith that you placed in Jesus Christ. Second of all, in verse 4, Paul is he's giving thanks not only for saving faith, but he says, of the love which you have to all the saints. He's thankful for sincere love. Listen, a church where there is saving faith has love for the brethren. You learn to love what Jesus loves. Jesus loved the saints and Jesus loves the sinners. Bethel, do we have love like Jesus does? A church that's arguing and a fussing uh, that has no love is a very painful experience. Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. Paul uses the word for love in verse 4, the word agapeo, which is unconditional, sincere, self-sacrificing love. Where there is, I'm going to tie this to last week's message. Where there is saving faith, there is death to self. Where there is saving faith in Christ Jesus, there is a denial of self. There is a taking up of the cross, committing one's way to following Jesus Christ. Nowadays, I see 
People that are preoccupied with self get on Facebook and it's I, I, I and me, me, me. And I want the world to know more about me and to see me. Lord have mercy, we've seen enough of you already. But when I got saved, amen, there is a death to self. There should be a denial of what I want and a yes to what Jesus wants. And Jesus wants us to love one another, to put you before myself. You see, if I'm denying myself, it's not about my way. You see, the arguments we have today is about who's going to run it, how we're going to spend the money based on what I think should be done. Usually that's been the challenges. I've faced three challenges and every single time it's been the same three ideas. Every single time. Who's in charge? Who's got to say so? I want to run it and what's gonna, what are we going to do with the money? Let me tell you something. We've got a debt to pay so we don't have no money to start with. So just get rid of that idea. Amen. Amen. That's the argument that goes on in the church. May I just turn to Colossians chapter 3 as Paul furthers the letter. It's not all about thanksgiving. He has many things he's trying to encourage and, 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 and trying to uh, help that church with. And in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 12, Paul begins to give them some good godly counsel. He says, put on therefore as the elect of God holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind. What does that mean? Less of me, more of Jesus. Less of me, more of loving others. Humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Let me take some out. How many of y'all know that if you're going to forgive one another, that means that someone's going to wrong you. Some of y'all talk about forgiveness, but you don't realize that someone's going to wrong you to help you practice it. You, you love to talk about forgiveness because you've been forgiven, but forgiving somebody else, no. They don't know who they messed with. I am me, and I don't forgive. Amen? But if God forgives, are you bigger than God? And God says, if you won't forgive someone, then I won't forgive you. Oh, preacher Darren, I didn't like that too good. Just want to remind you that if you're going to practice forgiveness as a church, someone's going to wrong you. They're going to say or do something wrong. Put on your big boy britches and learn to forgive one another and don't harbor and hold grudges once the weapons are laid down, forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity. Is it okay if I call it love? Above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. Ooh, ooh preacher there it is. Perfect. I'm not perfect, so therefore... No, no, no. The word perfectness 
means maturity. That means you've grown up to adulthood as a Christian. That you've been saved 45 years, you ought not to be acting like a three-year-old toddler anymore. Amen? You've got to learn to grow up and walk in maturity. We have flowers. Miss, Miss Shelby gave us flowers last year. I set them out. This year you ought to see the beautiful yellow gold flowers that have come up in our yard in the middle of fall and all this cold weather that hit and, and then the wind. Man, they're just blooming. And I looked at them. I said, you know what? Look at them. As they bloomed and bloomed and bloomed and bloomed, they just, they're, they're just perfect. Now, it doesn't mean they're sinless. It just means that they're mature. They have blossomed completely. Are you, as a Christian, maturing in the faith that when Jesus says, look here, bling, you're bringing glory to God? Are you all wilted over like a question mark, looking at the ground all the time, mad at everybody? Verse 15, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Wow. He ties it all back together. So if I could say this, no matter our differences tonight, we have differences in our backgrounds. We have differences in our gender. There may be differences in our race, especially in our school. There may be differences in our levels of education. There may be difference in our political viewpoints. There may be difference in your economic standards. But the only way you'll ever have unity in a church is through Jesus. And it is a supernatural work of God. Only He could keep a church together. Did you know tonight that faith never exists solo? The greatest work of faith is to love everyone around you. Hello? Faith, but preacher Darren, we are saved by grace through faith. So it's faith alone that saves. You're right. Faith alone saves. But faith that's alone is in trouble. Amen. Paul is thankful. And let us tonight do what it, whatever it takes to preserve love and unity in this church. People can detect a stink bomb very quickly. And when there's not love in the church, it's a stink bomb. When there's not love in the family, it's a stink bomb. And everybody's going to smell it. And I don't care how much you get that aerosol out and you try to spray the fluff of we're going we're gonna to have good choir singing. We're going to get the preacher preach. I'm just telling you, you can spray your aerosol of praise and happiness all over the church if you want to. But if there's not love, you're not getting rid of the stink bomb that's just gone off. Amen. Go back to Colossians chapter 1. We've talked about Paul being thankful for saving faith in Christ. We've talked about Paul being thankful for sincere love in Christ. Thirdly, he is thankful for a steadfast hope in Christ. Verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. The word hope, it means confident expectation. Despite dismal circumstances, it does not matter about happiness or not being happy. Amen. Let me tell you something. 
uh, when, 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 we, when we got married, uh, the preacher didn't say till, till happiness departs. No, he said till death causes you to part one day. And let me tell you something. We're to love each other and we're to have hope the entire time we're here. It is a steadfast hope. Some people believe that hope is a maybe so. It's a modern day word. I hope it rains. I hope it snows. I hope it doesn't snow. I hope it doesn't rain. It's a maybe so. But the hope you see in the Bible is never a maybe so. It's a confidence. It's an assurance. It is a certainty. Paul begins to commend them for the certainty, for the assurance that they have. They know that God has given them a promise. Jesus has given them a promise. And they believe that promise with all their hearts. May I say, hope, when you have it, you're saved by hope. You think about it for a second. You won't live very long without air. You won't live very long without water. But you'll live even shorter without hope. You have to have hope. Hope. When you got saved, you became rooted in Christ. Rooted in Christ, you began to grow. You began to blossom. You began to bear fruit, certain fruit, bringing him glory. Amen. That's what you're to do. This hope that God has given you is a hope that can never pass away. Oh, you may, you may feel like you've lost hope. One time I read about Paul. They were in a, a storm and all hope that they would be saved was taken away. They lost hope. But Paul went down below main deck and he began to seek headquarters and pray. And God came by and said, listen, there'll be no loss of life here. Stay on the boat. I will take care of everybody. And Paul came up and said, be of good cheer. God has shown me it's going to be okay, and I believe God. And he gave everybody hope. We need hope. I was a little boy. He uh, was in a fire. About this time of year, his daddy burned up, his mama burned up. And that little boy had third-degree burns all over his body. His face was bandaged. All you could barely see was his eyes, his skin, his arms, his legs. He was severely burned, had to have surgeries to take skin from here and put it there. Just let him live. And after a number of days, a teacher at the public school system, her job was to go visit homebound kids. And they gave her an English assignment to go to see a young man and teach him about pronouns and adverbs. And she went to the hospital. And when she got there, the room was given for the burn center. Oh my, why am I going to a burn center to talk about adverbs and pronouns? But she went in, the boy couldn't even communicate with her. And she went in and she taught him as best she could that English lesson. And she left there in tears. He was about to die. And she went home and she said, I, tomorrow I'm quitting my job. I hate that job. I can't stand. What employer would make me go teach adverbs and pronouns to a boy in a burn unit that's going to die? I'm quitting in the morning. How many of y'all ever, ever said, tomorrow I'm quitting? And you slept on it after you prayed. And you got up the next morning and you said, well, I think I'll take a share. And I think I'll get ready. And I'll go down there, and if they look at me cross, I'm walking out. Amen. But somehow you got through the day. She went back the next day. They gave her assignments to go back to that burn unit. And she said, well, 
I don't really want to go back, but I guess I will. And she went back. And when she ate the little buzz, the charge nurse said, and you are? She says, I'm the teacher. I was here yesterday. She said, would you come by the desk? She went to the desk. She said, listen, what did you tell that boy? She said, what do you mean what I tell? I've got a job. My job's to tell. I know, I know I'm wasting my time. My job's to tell him about adverbs and pronouns in the English lessons. I, that's just my job. I'm sorry, but they told me I had to come here and do it. And I spent about an hour talking to him. And she said, well, I'm telling you, after he left, after you left, he responded. For the first time, he began to respond. And whatever you told him, tell him again. She said, you're kidding. Adverbs and pronouns can make a difference in somebody's life. There's no way. She went back and she taught him again. And then within a week, he's now removed from the step-down unit he's in, put in his own room. And now they've taken the bandages off. He's 10, 14 days later, they've taken the bandages off. And he started to communicate with his little burnt lips. And she said, I don't understand it. How could adverbs and pronouns help anybody? Unless you're an English teacher. What's he going to do? And the little boy said, well... I lost my mama, and I lost my daddy, and I thought I was going to lay there and die too. But why would they send me a teacher to tell me about adverbs and pronouns if they thought I was going to die? I must be going to live. It brought hope. And when hope came to his heart, it encouraged him, and it brought healing. Church, I want to tell you something. You made tonight have all kind of problems and technical issues going on in your life. But I want to tell you something. You've got to have, lo you've got to have love. You've got to have faith. But you must know that Jesus loves you. He'll not let anything come to you, amen, that he can't handle himself. And you can have hope that he is going to take care of it. You can have confidence. You can have certainty. He's made you a promise. One day you'll be with him. What a blessing that that is. Now, I just want to say this. I'm, I'm done. Verse 6. In verse 5. Whereof you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel. I'm glad tonight for the word of truth. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for you folk. I pray for you every day. I'm thankful. But I'm thankful for the faith that you have in Jesus. Keep on keeping on. Don't quit. Keep the faith in Jesus. Have faith in God. I'm thankful for your love. I sure am glad that tonight I'm not up here trying to referee some scandal between the two of you. I've had to do that. And man, it brings knots to your gut when that's happening. There's no other pain just like that when these things are going on. And I sure am thankful that tonight y'all love one another. And even if you don't love one another, you're pretty good at pretending. So just go to your happy place and learn to love one another. Learn to pray for your enemies. And when you start loving and praying for your enemies, those that you think that are kind of your frenemies, you're going to get along with them a whole lot better. And I want to encourage you to have hope in God. You stand to your feet tonight. Are you thankful for your church? Are you thankful for the word of God? May I say tonight, I want to commend you to the grace of God. I, I want to...
commends you to the peace and the pardon that he's given us. I want tonight, if you can and would, let's come to the altar and let's have an altar prayer. We'll dismiss tonight and maybe you come say, I want to be thankful for my church. The devil's fought against it, but she's still here. Pray for your church tonight, amen. Pray for our sister churches, amen. Got a lot to be thankful for, church. Our Father and our God is one more time this day we bow our head and we humble ourselves in petition and prayer unto you. God, we want to tell you how unworthy and how undeserving that we are. We know we're sinners, God, at best. Deserving of hell. Not deserving your grace, your mercy, your love, or your peace. But in spite of who I am, by the mercy and the love of the Almighty God, you found me and you loved me and gave your life for me that my sins might be forgiven, that I might have saving faith through the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And God, that saving faith has brought this little old boy a long way. And I thank you tonight, God, for that. And then, Lord, I want to thank you, God, for love. Love that you've instilled in our hearts. God, for those, God, that are without. And yet, God, I love for those, God, that are within. God, I love them tonight, God. And I ask your blessing upon those who've wronged us. And I pray tonight, God, for enemies. I pray, God, that you'd make things right in this world in which we live. And God, I pray for these, God, tonight that struggle. And God, I pray for these, God, that's doing great and well. God bless them even more, Lord, I pray. Thank you, God, for the unconditional love you've had for us. Even when we were wrong, you still loved us. And tonight, God, for that hope, Oh, that precious hope. God, that we have that one day Jesus is coming to get us because right now the Holy Ghost lives within us. Tonight, God, I pray that you'd let hope, love, and faith increase. And Lord, as Paul said, the greatest of these is love. And Lord, when I look at my Bible and just how perfect it is, Apostle Paul wedged love in the middle of faith and hope. Love, that's what it's about. God loved us, for God so loved us that he gave. Help us, God, I pray, to love, for it's in Jesus' name I ask. Amen and amen.